Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football podcast. This is the CFB Breakdown, our college football weekly show. I'm Matt Chatham, your host, joined this week by Brady Quinn, quarterback for Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and obviously an NFL quarterback as well. Brady, I'm just the first thing I got to ask you uh, have you come down yet? I mean, you worked the Texas Tech TCU game a week ago. We're several days removed now. What a ridiculous end of that game. Uh, just talk a little bit about what you saw down there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was ad- as advertised before the game, Matt. I mean, it was a shootout. That's what everyone kind of sold the game as, and there wasn't much defense played either way. Uh, <laughs> right. it, was mostly, it was mostly a quarterback-dominated uh, game uh, between Tra- Travon Boykin for TCU and Patrick Mahomes for Texas Tech. Yeah. Um, you know, two teams that were 3-0 and coming into it and um, really hadn't put anyone to prove uh, their worth, per se, um, you know, Texas Tech beat Arkansas at Arkansas. That seemed like a big win, but Arkansas has kind of struggled this year. Uh, and TCU opened at Minnesota, uh, not the most convincing win. And Minnesota isn't necessarily, uh, I think, as, as good as they were a year ago. So uh, squaring off, I was kind of curious to see how these two teams would match up. And boy, was it a game. Um, dominated by a couple different wide receivers uh, for TCU. Josh Dotson, 18 receptions, right, 70 yards. It's, it's it was stupid. ridiculous. Yeah. And, and it, you know, Texas Tech could not stop him. I mean, literally, I think he got targeted 20 times. And right. one of the times he was targeted was the tip ball at the end that running back yes. Aaron Green for TCU caught for the go-ahead touchdown. Um, and then, you know, the very last play of the game, you, you think there's going to be a Hail Mary. There's pressure. And Mahomes hobbling on a, on a wounded knee finds DeAndre right. Washington. He starts the pitch around play to get the ball all the way down to the 10. You know, if there wasn't one more um, TCU player, I think Jakeem Grant finds the end zone and you've got right. one of the best finishes in college football history. So it was it was outstanding uh, start to finish. Uh, I was very fortunate to be a part of it. Yeah, and I, well, I actually didn't catch your call because we were we were doing another game at the time. I, but how did you take the, the the Aaron Green ricochet play? Did you did you see it live? Did it take the replay? I mean, were you expecting that? What as as a as a color guy, what do you? What kind of happens in that moment? You're almost getting like the Auburn, you know, kick return at the end of the Alabama Iron Bowl several years ago. Kind of those ah moments. Yeah, no, I kind of saw it right away because it was actually the same exact play that they threw to Josh Dotson before for his previous two touchdowns. So it was the exact same play. The only difference was Aaron Green, the running back, wisely got into the end zone. He really didn't even check protection. He just released immediately because it was fourth down. So there's no point him to be anywhere short of the goal line and once the ball was thrown again smart decision he followed the football it was really high fortunately Josh Dawson's got them up he gets up tips the ball and Aaron Green is right there to fall and just barely get a toe tap in the end and it was unbelievable such a cool play and, and amazingly or maybe not so amazingly TCU just keeps ending up in games like these I, I remember the BY or the, the Baylor game from a year ago and it just seemed like Bryce Petty Boykin the next series shot play shot play shot play shot play back and forth maybe a little bit of an indictment of the, of the brand of defense they play you mentioned it it was really shootout with for both sides even with Tech but man they, they tend to be in this kind of game and again I, we had this argument all year last year if 
invariably that style could win out in the end. Now TCU played great in the bowl game, so I mean they 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 proved some doubters wrong. But uh, again, the, with the injuries they've had on the roster and uh, the style that they adopt, I still have this little thing in the back of my head that says somehow that's not going to work down the road. But uh, they are rolling through the twelve pretty well. Good, uh, good way to kick off sort of conference play there. Uh, I'm going to transition here into uh, some Big Ten stuff, which we usually don't get a ton on. Usually it's Ohio State and everyone else, maybe some Michigan State talk from time to time. But Michigan put themselves into the headlines. Big Blue is back in the headlines of college football just a little bit for beating a, a BYU team that had been respectable, that had been sort of an adjutant to some other people, obviously with the Hail Mary play at the end of the Nebraska game there in the headlines, and had been right nipping at the heels of UCLA the week prior. Uh, how do you take this this Michigan win? Obviously, a dominating performance, winning thirty-one to nothing there at the Big House. Uh, a big hype movement, I think, there for Big Blue. Uh, all the hype leading up to the offseason. It's something I think that that fan base just needed. Uh, but what do you take from it? Is it is it a seismic move? Uh, is it uh, maybe a tired BYU team after several emotional weeks and having to travel halfway across the country, or is there really more something to this? Is is, is Harbaugh onto something? I think Harbaugh could be on to something, Matt. You know, one of the things that I kept hearing um, from anyone who had visited the Michigan uh, training camp before the season started kept talking about how it's an entirely different atmosphere. Harbaugh right. likes to really teach and get down to the fundamentals of football, and it's such a different practice than what you're usually accustomed to, hearing all the music and all this noise and all these different you know, things going on that are fast-paced. Harbaugh likes a longer, slower practice where he's teaching fundamentals and making sure all his players fully understand what they're trying to accomplish on each play. I really think that's starting to take effect now. Now, don't get me wrong. It could be somewhat of BYU, you know, going to the Rose Bowl the week before, playing a night game, uh, a really tough physical game too, might I add, and, and just being worn out. I mean, this is a, an, right. an independent team who unfortunately has to go not only to every, basically everyone's front door and knock and say, we'll come play you at your place just to get you on our schedule. I mean, they've got to play, I want to say, uh, later on the season, they're playing maybe Oklahoma or someone in, like, Kansas City, and that's mm -hmm. one of their home games. So um, I think it could be a little bit of that, too, just a big letdown for a team that tried, you know, as, as best they could to hold off UCLA from coming back the week prior and then kind of just laid an egg. Uh, and Because it was tough to see how Tanner Mangum really progressed and regressed and showed all this and then really just struggled in the Michigan game. Right. I don't necessarily think Michigan has a ton of talent right now on defense. Um, he just didn't play all that well. Well, interestingly enough, uh, it, the way I, I felt about BYU, I think I've felt about this other team for the last couple years. Uh, we, they're, they're a really hot late September, early October topic that usually peters out. Uh, and that's Utah Utes. You wrote this week on footballbyfootball.com uh, a great article about Oregon and about how we may have been suckered into this idea that you know they were the next big thing. They were they were warranted they would warranted the high rankings they had as a preseason team, and a lot of it was just brand. Uh, maybe some of this uh, with that much attrition of talent out the door, it was maybe a little bit putting the cart before the horse <laughs> to presume that they were still that same team, and maybe it just ran into a better team in Utah. Uh, I say that and I bring up Utah in this regard where, man, that was an impressive win going to Eugene. 
But I look at Utah and I look down their schedule and I see all those other pack teams they still have to play. And I'm wondering if they can survive the gauntlet, if they've got a BYU moment ahead of them. How do you feel about the Utes? I think they've climbed to four in most polls, four, five, six, right around that range, depending on who you're looking at. Uh, do they warrant being there at this time? And do you think it has staying power? No, I, I don't think they warrant being there at all. I mean, I think uh, Michigan looking good makes that win at the beginning of the season look better, but they had that game at home and it was a tight, it was a tight game, tight win. Um, I don't even know if they're able to win that, uh, if they're able to play a second time now with where Jake Rudock and, Mi- and Michigan's at right now. And then, then all of a sudden you, you go to the game in Austin. I just think Oregon is trying to replace so many key pieces on their team uh, that people just kind of assumed that they were some sort of machine that could just pump out win after win after win with their system. But unfortunately, when you lose a guy like Marcus Mariota, that's just not possible. And it's just not possible for a player like Vernon Adams to transfer in during training camp, mind you, not the summer, but during training camp, and all of a sudden get down a system that easily, it's not possible as a quarterback. And I'm not saying that Jeff Lockie is the answer. I think he knows the system better. He seems to run it a bit more effectively. Uh, but either way, neither of those guys are even close to the same caliber of talent uh, as Marcus Mariota was. And you're talking about a team coached by Kyle Winningham, who's done a tremendous job building up Utah, uh, being able to you know, get a bunch of different guys, whether from JUCOs or community colleges, to come in and be effective. Travis Wilson's really taking over uh, that starting quarterback position. He did last year, battling through with Kendall Thompson a bit. Now he's been able to really harness um, being that starter and the leader of the team that they need to. He's, he's effective enough throwing that he can also add uh, some, some big gains as well with his legs. And Devontae Booker is one of the better running backs in the Pac-12, but you had mentioned it. I mean, Matt, this team's got to play so many tough opponents still. (laughs) Being in the Pac-12 South, it's just too tough a division to come out unscathed. Well, here we go now. As we head into the conference play, I think we're basically here now where the SEC is matching up with one another. Big Ten schools are matching up with one another. We, We glanced there in the East a little bit, obviously talking about Michigan now potentially maybe it's just a hype thing but uh, you know maybe somebody ohio state and, and michigan state have to consider on that side as well uh but in the west uh, we won't spend but 10 seconds on this iowa and wisconsin play uh that may be your deciding game down the road the west and the big 10 is looking pretty weak so that's a game to keep your eye on but you know it, not, not a lot going on on that side of the ledger this year uh, potentially, uh, in, in some of these big games this week, this is actually a really exciting week for college football. I love this when this happens. It's early in the season. We know most of these rankings will shake out much differently as things roll along. But you've got several, uh, several matchups of top 25 teams. So we've got a big week, and obviously we'll start with your team, uh, Notre Dame, with a big, big game this week against Clemson. Uh, what, do you, what do you see going down in that? You know, right now, Matt, the line on the game is actually a pick-up. It's just kind of shocking. It considering is, yes. Anyone who's been to Death Valley at night knows that's a really tough environment to go play. Um, so, obviously, the odds makers are seeing that Notre Dame uh, somewhat more talented, better team going into this. Uh, you know, I, I think I tend to agree with them, and I think they're actually better on the offensive def- and defensive front. And, and that's where this advantage is really going to take play. You know, Des- Deshaun Kaiser has, has kind of fitted in pretty well. Um, given the scenario that he entered into. And then on top of it, Brandon Wimbush, the very talented true freshman, he got some playing time this week. He wasn't overly impressive passing the football, but he ran, had four rushes for 92 yards and a touchdown. So he showed off some of his athleticism. And then they continue to keep pumping out these true freshmen who show up 
have a big impact. Josh Adams at running back, Dexter Williams at running back, both had touchdowns, both had nice games rushing the football. And then C.J. Sanders returned a punt for a touchdown. I mean, all right. these guys are true freshmen. you got to credit Brian Kelly and his staff for doing a good job recruiting and really preparing these guys throughout the course of the spring with all the injuries they've had to endure this year to still be effective. I see them going down there, controlling the line of scrimmage, and actually having their way with Clemson. Um, Clemson's actually one of the better defensive teams right now this year. They're a top, they're actually number eight in the country. The problem is they played three games. One was versus Wofford, which they beat handily. Right. Appalachian State they beat easily. And then they go to Louisville and win that game. But, you know, Louisville struggled this year. Yeah, there was a point last week's game. Obviously, UMass, I do a ton of their games, uh, have them this week. And there was a time in that game where it was mildly competitive through the first almost into the second quarter. And then it seemed to be they missed on a couple deep passes to Tajay Sharp. They, it was like three go routes they ran, and they missed all three. And it seemed like something woke up Notre Dame, almost like they got a little pissed off. And then they just ran them out, ran out the half, and then scored 20 straight points to start the third. It was like, okay, we settled ourselves. No trap game this week. Uh, one of the things that I, I think is interesting, you mentioned it, that, that the line sort of hovers where it is. It at least shows maybe they're either trying to move money or that, there's a little more faith in Notre Dame, but I think it's unusual that I think the number six, maybe you can tell me if I'm off on that, but six starters lost since the season has begun. I just think of a, a trip like that, not, not a team on a neutral place, but going to Death Valley, going into that environment, walking down those stairs, you know, seeing the crazy, crazy environment that you have in a place like that. I wonder if that catches up to you at some point. Not so much the style of play, although, you know, you mentioned it, Clemson's been much more defensively led this team. Deshaun Watson's been okay. Uh, but I, I don't think this is a sort of a Heisman bid that we had sort of intimated that when the season had started just hasn't looked like that kind of year for him. Uh, I don't know. I just it, obviously the kind of trap game I was talking about last week was more of a haha with UMass. But I see Clemson down in that environment, that matchup, all those new faces that have to step up at so many important spots for Notre Dame that traps the wrong word because Clemson is highly regarded. But if there were one that I think they might let get away, I was leaning towards it might possibly be this week yeah it'll be interesting to see i mean when you look at some of the injuries they sustained uh their leaders are still there on defense joe schmidt jaylon smith are still there sheldon day up front he's still there you know they're not getting quite as much uh pressure on quarterbacks as they'd like uh, but they still have their cover corners cole luke had an interception last week versus umass um uh kavari russell he's still there he's still playing at a high level you know matthias farley's a special teams core special teams captain and he just played so timely throughout the course of his career he's filling in for a drew tranquilly was injured uh, versus georgia tech um they've got they've just got a lot of depth and a lot of pieces and leadership for guys who have played under brian kelly for a number of years now and they seem to all be stepping up you know i was a little bit concerned uh with with, with some of the you know positions key positions really who are touching the ball all the time the running backs and then the quarterback right dj right. Procise was kind of coming in as somewhat of a slot slash running back well now he is their featured back and then they're giving touches to Josh Adams, who's a true freshman, and Dexter Williams, who's a true freshman. So you'd think that, you know, ball security would be an issue. It really hasn't been. Deshaun Kaiser um, has made good decisions for the most part when he's thrown interceptions or made mistakes. It's usually been taking a shot towards the end zone. So I'm actually okay with that, um, you know, that, that style of play. I like that he's aggressive. Clemson was coming back into this year with four new starters on the offensive line, and their center was already banged up this year. I think Notre Dame's going to have their way with that offensive front. It's it's interesting you mentioned it in that context because we we had Mark Whipple on today for our coaches conference for this week. That's UMass's head coach, and 
he, uh, you know, he, he spent time at Miami. He was obviously an NFL coach with the Steelers and Browns. He was all over the place. He's seen a lot of that big Florida talent. Uh, and he mentioned uh, the Notre Dame offensive line from a week ago is one of the best he's seen in college football. Uh, he yeah. was, he I mean, came away very impressed. Yeah, I think Nick Martin, you know, brother of Zach Martin, who was a former yep. first-round pick for the Dallas Cowboys, he's going to be a, a high-level pick. You know, he's a center, so I don't know how high. But they're left back for <laughs> Ronnie Stanley. He might be a top-ten pick. I mean, he's very athletic, good size, good technique. They've got a lot of talent, man. Let's pause for a second, Ian. Talk a little bit about our sponsor, FanDuel. Uh, obviously, the football season is well underway, both college and pro ton of exciting games out there, so why not get in on the action? FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. The money's real. They're paying out over $75 bucks a week this football season. Why we love FanDuel, it's because just building that team is easy. This is not complicated. You just pick your players, you stay under the salary cap, and sit back on Sunday and watch your team win. Entry fees are just a dollar so that anyone can handle this. Anyone can play. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use our code FBF and sign up now. Special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel's going to match up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. Offer's only good for the first 50 people that use my code FBF, so don't forget to use my code. I say this every week. Don't forget to use my code. Use that FBF code. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. Well, we talked about this last week and, and sort of the oddity that was the Georgia Bulldogs. And Jay Foreman brought up a big point, uh, a good point. And it's something that we've been chatting about the last several years of sort of watching that team, not getting lulled into the idea that Georgia was going to do it. Always seeing the talent, always lining up their roster of amazing athletes and and NFL prospects each offseason. I feel like I've been through that cycle so many times. I'm I'm jaded. Uh, but we're here we are again. And Mark Rick's group is now actually favored uh, against Alabama, which is, is a bit of a change down there. That's, that can be a sea change in and of itself, especially for recruiting. Uh, but how do you see this game playing down? Can, can, uh, can Alabama get themselves back on track against Georgia with one of those sort of infamous moments where Georgia stumbles? Or is Georgia on their way? I mean, they get past Alabama here, the path gets much lighter. Yeah, Matt, I think this year is the year that Georgia's able to get over the hump versus Alabama. I mean, look, this is going to be a game dominated by running backs. You've got Nick Chubb, who's the Heisman frontrunner, along with yeah. Michelle in Georgia's backfield, Derrick Henry and Kenyon Drake for Alabama. You know, it's going to be a ground-and-pound game. So then the key comes, which quarterback's going to play more effective? And so far, Coker's struggled this year. And on the flip side, for Georgia, Grayson Lambert has been very, very efficient. And you can credit <laughs> yes, offensive yes. coordinator Brian Schottenheimer from the NFL level. He came down to Georgia. He's installed a system where they get him a lot of easy throws, a lot of confidence builders, and they utilize the run game to open up a lot of things in the passing game. And Grayson Lambert's done a nice job adjusting to the system, being a transfer from UVA. Well, we talked about this last week, and you touched on you. You had some exposure with Shadi when you were in St. Louis. Uh, I had him. He was coordinator when I was there in, in uh, New York with the Jets for three years. And I think the part that I've been most impressed with that Grace has handled with his system is the mental challenge. And again, as a quarterback, you would understand this more from Shadi's system than anyone. But you mentioned the easy throw. That was actually something that Kellen Clemens from Oregon years ago was brought in, and he was our backup when Chad Pennington would have his arm issues. And I always kind of wondered how Shadi's system would translate down to the collegiate level if he'd still be able to get away with a lot of the, 
sort of intellectual pre-snap stuff that's required. It was always ridiculous going against a, an offense like that, uh, especially in practice, because Shadi was so big on pre-snap movement. He would shift like four times. <laughs> He'd shift from one formation, then there'd be a, set, a motion, a reset, a second motion. But just to orchestrate all that stuff pre-snap for a transfer like Grayson, a guy that's you know not a lot of experience in big-time college football, much less that particular system, I think that's been the most impressive part. I always worried that, you know, Shani would do great, but he'd do great with a guy where he got the guy for four years or three years or two years. But to, to be a quick be a quick term with a guy like that in that system and be as effective as he had, the 24 for 25 but from a week ago, uh, and to continue to roll now, a pretty cool deal. I think something probably is that as a quarterback that's played for him, you can appreciate yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, you were with Kellen Clemens when he was with the Jets. I was with him at the, with the St. Louis Rams. So I kind of saw the evolution of not only Kellen, but his relationship with uh, Brian Schottenheimer. And one of the keys, I think, with that particular team in that year was when Kellen Clemens took over for Sam Bradford. He really tried to utilize a lot of the similar concepts and things that I'm seeing now. Um, a lot of the boot action passes and a lot of the run action passes He's doing the same thing with Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle for Grayson Lambert. He's having a lot of plays where they block the run, and then he's able to suck up a lot of those linebackers at the second level to create yep. holes and windows in the second level. Um, he's utilizing a lot of that, a lot of things off of some of the boot action they, that they do. And then as far as the passing game goes, everything is kind of comprised around a lot of the shallow cross concepts, crossing patterns, things of that nature, and staying within the hashes, not pushing too much to the outside unless it's going to be some right. sort of quick screen to the wide receivers. Uh, again, so a lot of confidence builders and things that he's giving his quarterback um, to help out and help him build confidence with. Well, as big of a game as that is, obviously, in the SEC, and that's going to, that's going to take your banners. That's going to be your headline game. I think a sneaky undercard, uh, if you want to call it that, is this Mississippi State A&M game. Obviously, both both ranked as well at this point. But again, I think these are a lot of this is driven by SEC teams and the name cachet. A lot of these teams have played some dogs. But uh, in the event that, that Georgia handles Alabama, like I believe could happen, uh, do you see that Mississippi State Alabama, or excuse me, Mississippi State A and M game as being maybe that secondary challenger? Obviously, we'll get to the Ole Miss game as well later. They're they're obviously playing great as well, but. Uh, anything sort of that you were expecting to glean from that, that Mississippi State A&M game? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing now is A&M is a, a complete team. Uh, this is not just your fast-paced, uh, high-powered offense um, with, with a bend-but-don't-break mentality on the opposite side of the ball. I mean, A&M's led by Miles uh, Jarrett up front, and he's been fantastic at getting pressure uh, against opposing quarterbacks and tackles in the backfield in the run game. Uh, and they've got a bunch of other guys, too, I think will contribute. So uh, I, I'm really I'm really confident in this year's Texas A&M team being able to live up to the hype. I mean, Matt, you talked about earlier, I wrote an article kind of about this A&M team, and they were kind of the catalyst for the whole idea that last year, you know, after, you know, missing Johnny uh, Manziel, after him being drafted by the Browns, people kind of just thought that, oh, Kenny Hill was going to come in and light the world on fire, and this team was just going to continue to keep rolling thought this AM team was better than they were. And all of a sudden, once they faced a couple losses, they were kicked right back out of the top 25. This year is completely different. Texas A&M has earned their way. And, and Dak Prescott is playing really, really well. I just don't know that they have quite as much talent. This city state graduated so many guys that really helped them uh, 
towards the stretch and maintain an undefeated record for a good portion of the season last year where they don't have the same type of talent this year. I mean, they've already dropped the game as it is. I'm curious about A&M's, A&M's balance. I think that's been the one thing that's been surprising. You, you talked about Trill and some of the stuff from a year ago, and obviously with the changeover at A&M. Uh, they, they, I feel like they've got a little less of the excitement and redonkulousness and a little bit more of just, hey, this might be a good football team. I look at the offensive side of the ball. You've got you got five, six, seven guys that have had, you know, big carry games. You know, there's there's got, there's several guys on the roster with over 10 catches. I think it goes six deep, something like that. But the point is they're spreading it out. Uh, they don't feel as one or two guy dependent, sort of star driven as they were in the, in the Manziel and Evans days. It feels like sort of that bubbling up from below has happened. Like some of the recruiting that, that Kevin Sumlin has done has started to sort of bear fruit. So I think when you, you come uh, into a situation where you have to go through that SEC gauntlet, when you're not just all things hinge on this, I think you're in a better spot. And I feel a lot better about AM when I watch them for those reasons. It looks like, hey, the ball could go a lot of different places. It doesn't really matter who's carrying it this time. They can, they can still gain yards. So I think that's probably a positive development for the program. Now, do I know that that gets past Michigan State and Dak Prescott? <laughs> I don't know that, but uh, at least it's a positive sign. Uh, okay, transitioning here, and it feels like we're doing a CC show today. I apologize for that, but uh, this is kind of where the big matchups are in college football this week, at least until things change. Ole Miss, Florida. So Florida just ekes in. I mean, I always wonder when college football, uh, when the voters do this, whether it be the coaches or just the AP poll, but when a team sneaks in at 25 and they're playing a top team, I always wonder if that's for TV ratings of some sort. Just having that little 25 next to your name kind of means something, but uh, is Florida a surging team? Do they do they deserve that sort of move into the top 25, uh, or is this going to be a bloodbath with Ole Miss? You know, Matt, to be honest with you, I have no idea. You know, this team was still searching for a quarterback, and between Treon Harris and, and Will Greer, and if not for Treon Harris getting in trouble and being suspended from the team, they might still be looking for that quarterback. But I, I now think it's Will Greer's job to lose. He played very well last week. Uh, in their win over Tennessee at home, uh, converted a couple really clutch fourth downs again and again uh, to be able to throw a touchdown pass at the end to Powell to go ahead for the win. So um, I think he's got the job and it's his to lose, but I don't think they match up talent-wise with Old Miss. I mean, this is one of the most highly touted teams if you go through the high school recruiting database. Uh, Obviously, Robert Kimdichie, was one of the most well, probably I think the number one overall recruit of his class on defense. He's been extremely stout this year. Laquan Treadwell is probably one of the best wide receivers who's gonna be coming out into the draft after this season. And Chad Kelly, very highly touted kid coming out of high school, went to Clemson, didn't work out, went to East Mississippi Community College, balled out there, and then came to Old Miss and really took over the reins. And now he's the best quarterback in the SEC. I don't think anyone's able to play as efficient as he does from the pocket but also add that element of athleticism as well. Uh, so I want to transition here with you just into sort of, you know, the polls are now starting to sort of take foot. And I think these things start to matter because it's kind of like pole position. I don't know from a track or, you know, NASCAR or whatever you're into. It's still uh, at the top of the AP's poll. They lead one, two, big 10. Uh, they lead with Ohio state. I don't think that's much of a surprise, but Michigan state still lingers there in two. Then you go SEC with Ole Miss, TCU, and BYU, a couple big 12s taking up the rest of the top five. And then your Notre Dame sits at six. UCLA, which has been very impressive thus far, but has their own sort of bouts with injury that it, can they sort of keep that thing patched together and make it out. Georgia, undefeated, but having 
not really been challenged yet. I think we'll learn a lot from them sit at eight. LSU, which has been as impressive as anyone, I think Fournette obviously is one of the big stories of college football, but they started low. I don't think people expected LSU to be in this spot. And rounding out the top 10, we have Utah Utes, at least in the AP poll. So um, outside of that, you'll understand that that means there isn't a, an ACC school at all in there. So we may have a situation with Florida State running the table again and are they in? Who knows? Alabama's obviously outside, AM, as we mentioned, and then on and on down the list. Any uh, major things that jump out there to you that you find offensive or that you think is just, hey, this is just a passing phase, these things will flesh out soon, but, or is like, you know what, somebody here is getting screwed that might affect how things roll out later down the year? Well, you'd mentioned it before. I mean, I don't know if they just try to jump up some of these teams in the rankings purely to, to create better matchups and better drama for television. I mean, Utah going from 18 to 10 after beating Oregon. I mean, I, I wrote about this because it's ridiculous. Oregon hasn't beaten an FBS school yet. And, and how that, you know, should matter for Utah to jump up eight spots ahead of, um, you know, Florida State, Alabama, Clemson. I mean, I know Alabama's dropped one so far this year. Uh, Texas A&M, Oklahoma. I mean, these are all other undefeated teams who I think have proven to be pretty talented, pretty effective too. Uh, and all of a sudden, to jump eight, you know, eight spots, it's just ridiculous. But, look, I mean, this, this is the way the polls work out. I think it's uh, one of those deals where week by week, uh, we, we start to look at kind of who's at the top. You know, that TCU sitting there at four, um, that's probably a team I'm most concerned about. I mean, they've just got such a war of attrition right now with so many injuries, uh, both on offense and defense. I mean, like I mentioned before, I did that game last week. There was a bunch of injuries on defense, but – there was two wide receivers. Colby Listen, he had a hamstring issue, uh, injury. He didn't play. Uh, Emmanuel Porter substituted in for him. He hurt his knee. He's out for a couple of games. Then there's slot <laughs> wide receiver Ty Slanina. He got hurt. He's out for the season. I mean, it is ridiculous right now the amount of injuries that they have had pile up that they'll deal with. And you just got to think, eventually, uh, one of these teams is going to sneak up on them. And they're not going to be able to outscore them. And I feel bad because Trevon Boykin is, is just incredible. Uh, and then UCLA. You mentioned it, another team that's battled so many injuries. Uh, I'm curious to see if the true freshman Josh Rosen doesn't hurt them enough with a true freshman moment where he just right. has a really, really bad game and they can't overcome it. He had a bad one versus BYU. They had Paul Perkins. They had Nate Starks. They were able to overcome it. They lost Miles Jack, who was a really big part of that defensive game plan uh, in that particular game. And I'll, I'm curious to see how they'll be able to you know, play moving forward. Um, but beyond that, I mean, you talked about it. It's funny how you see Florida kind of jump in there at the end. I think Cal at the bottom at 24, they've got a legitimate shot of winning the Pac-12 North and possibly uh, winning the Pac-12. Jared Goff is probably the most underrated or under-talked about quarterback who will jump on everyone's draft board and maybe the first overall quarterback taken in next year's draft. Moving through this list, I, the one thing that, that sort of popped out to me that I didn't expect to be at this at this stage, probably because I expected Tennessee was going to win uh, at home against Oklahoma, but we do have a little bit, you know, going towards the finish line here. I say going towards the finish line; they're just starting. But Kansas State, I think they're out of the picture in the in the Big Twelve. But both Oklahoma schools are undefeated heading into conference play, and Baylor and and uh, Texas Christian sit in the same spot. So do you see anything in that sort of Big 12 where either of those two Oklahoma schools provide a challenge? Or is this just sort of early preseason stuff? Or is there some surprise there? Is, there, is, there more, is it more than just a two-horse race? 
No, I, I definitely think Oklahoma is very capable of, of coming in there and having a big impact and possibly winning the Big 12. Um, you look at Baker Mayfield, he's been outstanding in the, in the first three games they've played. Now, take that into consideration, though. Again, they haven't really played anyone but Akron, Georgia Southern, and Tulsa. And their defense right. really struggled with the pace of Tulsa with how many yards they put up. I think they actually ended up with about 600 yards. Uh, but look, Baker Mayfield has, has provided something that Sam Bradford, uh, Jason White, Josh Heupel, all those guys who were either a Heisman Trophy winner or won a national championship, he's got their ability in the passing game. But he also has the ability to scramble and run around and do things with his legs that Oklahoma has not seen from a quarterback. And that just adds a special element to all of this. Sterling Shepard's fantastic on the outside. But with this new offensive coordinator, and Lincoln Riley, they're really spreading the ball around so much better. I mean, nine different guys caught a pass in last week's game. And then Samaj P. Ryan, you know, he was one of the outstanding true freshman running backs last year. He's really come in with Mixon, and they've got a nice one-two punch in the backfield. So I think with their offensive firepower and what they're capable of doing, and if you know Mike Stoops can, can hold the line uh, in that Big 12 where you know everyone plays this fast-paced offense and puts up a ton of points, I really think Oklahoma has a chance of running the table. Now, they got a tough one this week versus West Virginia. You know, Daner Holgerson's calling this the best defense he's ever had. Um, so we'll see if they can slow down Oklahoma. And Skylar Howard is, is not a quarterback that you want to sleep on either. He's very, very capable of uh, taking some big shots in the passing game as well. Well, this is definitely one of those weeks that, yeah, as a college football fan, you can, you can wake up Saturday morning. Uh, if you live in the Midwest, 11 Central, you can you can get a game early, you know, noon out here on the East Coast, and there's going to be top 25 matchups all throughout the day and evening. I, it's going to be a fun weekend of football. Can't wait. Uh, can't wait to dive in. Thanks so much, Brady. Awesome stuff as always. That's all we have for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Brady and myself, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow on Twitter at FBBYF. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.